out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest. This week, it's going to be the turn of conflict because I spoke to their mean man, Colin Jarwood, very recently to find out more about life, love, poetry and all that other groovy stuff. Anyway, this is the interview. And uh, just as sort of a word up as well, that um, in March, sometime in March 2021, uh, conflict have got a lot of... um, a box set, in fact two box sets I do believe coming out, um, one which is 1982 to 1987, five CDs and then from 1988 to 1994, five CDs again, all on Cherry Red Records, um, so that's very exciting for the big fans and um, all casual listeners. Anyway, look, this is the interview and um, this is where after several minutes of casual chat with Colin, we started talking about A. The Spring Equinox. We're very excited about that. And also about the box sets that have also come out. Anyway, look, Colin, take it away. Yeah, well, to be honest with you, a box set was something I would have never have ever thought of. But, <laughs> it, uh, yeah, I mean, apparently, apparently they, they shift a lot of units because I suppose they're complete uh, collections. But I'm pleased with the way it's come out. You know, they, they've been giving me total control over it and stuff like that. You know, nothing was left out that... I wanted to say so. Yes, and did you find that um, the process of doing it was quite enjoyable? You know, because I I have noticed that that thirty five to forty years seems to be a period of time where people quite like to start archiving things after years of not being bothered and thinking actually it'd be quite yeah. nice to archive this. Yeah, I mean they're only out on CD at the moment. Um, I'd like I wanted to get them out on vinyl, but um, we're going to have to cost it up because. I mean, these are only 20 quid in the shops, these, but I think the vinyl would have to be £100 a box or something. <laughs> yes, I noticed, actually, it is quite amazing value for, for sort of um, five CDs and a booklet. And yeah, lots yeah, of bits no, and it's a nice package, yeah. They've done really, really well. I've worked with Adam a long time over the years. Started off with a comp with him years ago, and uh, he's always been bang on, to be honest with you. Yes, well, you know, I mean, they have got a good reputation, and um, they seem I did, to have I did an interview with them. I did an interview with them up there yesterday. That's going to go out just before the box sets as well. Oh, brilliant! Well. That's yeah. really good. Yeah. Well, anyway, look. Yeah. So, so as you know, because I've been pestering you for years. Um, yes, I I do this show called the C eighty six show, which obviously is a bit more indie. <laughs> Dingy jangly pop, but it's great to sort of get the other other bands that were around at that time. Because let's face it, the eighties did have um, a lot of different scenes that we we probably didn't really yeah. appreciate at the time. But now you look back and think, God, how many yeah. different scenes were there? But there you go. Anarcho- I, I heard your a bit of your interview with was I think it was Bruce from Hey God, was it or Hey God a Woman? Oh yes, yes, that's right. Yeah, yes, that was yeah. fantastic. Yeah. So she was good. So what's always interesting, because I'm, I'm now in my, you know, I was born 64 and, and now in my, yeah. mid Am I? So what was your, so my musical moment, I suppose, in life was kind of that, that kind of glam period of the early 70s. So what was, you know, with like Sweet and Slade and T-Rex and thankfully David yeah. Bowie was my first single, my first love. But, but you have obviously got a slightly different kind of journey because you would have been about, you know, during the 60s a bit more. Well, my sister, my sister was older, so obviously, yeah, T-Rex, Mark Boland, Sweet, Slade, 
Um, yeah, Queen. Yeah, all, all bands like it, really, early on. Yes, we all loved Queen at the time. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I mean, basically, I suppose when you've got bigger sisters blaring out stuff all the day, you get used to it, didn't you? And you get to like it, and yeah. Well, yeah. And what were your, what was your sort of parents? Were they listening to any music at the time? No, no, just my sister. I mean, she was really into David Bowie. Um, that's obviously, he lived in Beckenham and Bromley, which is close. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I heard a lot of that all the time really early and uh yeah she came in with Siggy Stardust Starware one day and dad weren't happy <laughs> <laughs> I took the piss and then uh, seven years later or whatever it was I came in with Spike yeah <laughs> nice I know Bowie, Bowie, Bowie was the sort of blueprint for this wasn't he so did you I mean was there a sort of a musical moment that you heard that changed had a kind of a big life-changing moment I was given a copy of um bootleg called Spunk, which was never mind the bollocks. Yes. At school. Um, and that was it, really. <laughs> that was it. Um, even the school report says, what's that happened to Colin? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I listened to it and I hadn't heard anything like it. It was just, I couldn't take it off. Right. So that yeah. was that was it. So did you say you were born, you were 10, you're 10 years older than me? No. No, no I, I was born in 62. 62, right, you're two years, so we're very similar age, actually. So, yes, yeah, so it was that period where you probably heard Alice Cooper's Schools Out and then sort of saw yeah. Blockbuster and all those kind of great anthems and thought, mm, yeah. something is great. slightly different yeah. here. I mean, to, to be honest with me still, if I like got any type of music, if it's good, it's good, if it's shit, it's shit. I don't limit myself, do you know what I mean? Yes. Absolutely. Because one thing that, that sort of is, is amazing, you know, listening to your work, your lyrics are so phenomenally, you know, um, well, you, you know, I, it's a bit like Joseph Porter from Blythe Power, who thankfully has, has started doing booklets of his lyrics because they're so, and essays yeah. about them. So, you, you know, you obviously have a real talent for sort of the lyric and the, and the sentiment. I don't know. I mean, people do say, I don't, Notice it myself. I write too many lyrics. <laughs> so I, wasn't gonna do it. I said I wasn't going to on this new album, but uh, it's, it's going to be. <laughs> yeah, I mean, with, you know, when you were sort of before you heard the, the the compilation, did you, you know, was there any sort of particular sort of artist or any books that you kind of listened to or or read that you thought, oh, okay, this is quite interesting? Well, no, I've never, to be honest, I might sound very cliché, but uh, I haven't never read a book. Clash has said it, and they No, I haven't. No, I've got three pages into one once, and that was me. Not really a reader, but um, I mean, a lot of my stuff, especially the early conflict stuff, was just angry little notes I'd written on scraps of paper on my school thing on the school books, you know, yeah, stuff like that. Um, and I didn't dream it would ever be like you know that this would happen. <laughs> so, what was your first? Did you, you know, because you said your sister was kind of into David Bowie, which was quite obviously quite good, because my brother was seven years older and he was into prog rock, which was a bit tricky because I, I worshipped him at the time. So I also listened to a lot of prog rock. So um, that's yeah. a bit strange. Yeah. But he did also have um, Black Sabbath and Deep Purple. So that wasn't too bad. But um, then there was that period where you just thought, actually, I'm really getting bored of topographic oceans. I really want to hear something that doesn't go on for 20 minutes on one side, <laughs> which was quite trying. But then, you know, that's where your friendship with your brother sometimes wane a bit, really. So when, so as the decade went on, did you start, I mean, obviously you had your sort of punk moment, but did you, when was your first gig? Uh, my first gig, quite. Yeah. Probably. 
Did you say Queen? Queen at Wembley Stadium, yeah. Blimey, that was quite something. Mine was nine below zero. Yeah, well, I can't remember what I can't remember the exact when it was, but yeah, it was with my sister again, that's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) I liked it, yeah. I used to copy Freddie Mercury with uh, I used to have the old, you know, the floor sweeper. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and I really liked them. I thought it was really good. Yes, well, I, I do remember my brother. One of my, the other brother went into the army, and he brought home. I think that was a one of the the album which had the kind of the robot on the cover, which was quite an iconic. Yeah, I don't know what it's called. I know you mean. And um, so yes, yeah, yeah. so so as the so as the decade progressed, did you start sort of wanting to form or become part of a band? I just wondered when you thought actually I could do this myself. Well. Um, Basically, I started, I, went, I used to be around with a clash a lot. I followed the clash everywhere. And people like Susie and the Banshees, because they're local as well. Susie and, Susie and the Banshees were from Bromley too. And so that was my cup of tea, really. But um, I got, when I, when I went to see the clash the first time, which was in Manchester or something sweet, Elizabethan sweet, I think it was 77, 78, I think, 78 maybe. Maybe 79. And then I saw Crash there a little while later in Manchester. Um, so with the Clash, they kind of, that kind of made me start thinking about things a lot more. I liked the lyrics. I liked the stance. Uh, I'm not really friendly with Joe and Paul. Um, and, but then it was obviously seeing Crash. I actually thought, well, yeah, you know, and Steve actually turned and said, you know, nothing's impossible. You just do it yourself. And uh, I was in a band called Splattered Rock Stars before that. Um, I got kicked out for not being a good enough front man, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that was the first thing, a load of rubbish, really. We did covers like Peggy Sue and stuff like that, you know. Yes. Different at the time. Well, I always remember Lemmy loved his, uh, his, his kind of 50s artists like, you know, Little Richard and Buddy Holly and um, oh, yeah. Eddie Buddy Cochran. So, um, yeah. So I, I guess from listening to that, you you know, Crass was certainly the band that sort of gave you the first kind of moment. But did you, I mean, with their kind of ethos and their kind of general stance, how did you get on with sort of the members? Because they were quite intense, weren't they? Uh, I got on really well with Steve. Um, I can't say what the others think of me, really. Um, I had a few arguments, you know, Penny and stuff like that over certain things, especially animals. Um, and obviously I'm not pacifist and that really weren't rubbing very well. Um, <laughs> me and Steve become friends instantly, as you saw in his notes, it was just, you know, I just walked up to him, we started having a chat and it, it, it was just great and we've, we're still mates today. I've got off the phone to him a little while ago. Um, but yeah, the other members, I don't think they had a lot of time for conflict, to be honest with you or me, because, because of that stance. Yes, absolutely. And did you, I mean, when did you be... Um, become a vegetarian? Oh, yeah, oh, God. I like painting a slaughterhouse in Spray Street in Woolwich, and that's what made me think. I didn't, didn't even think about it before that, I'd eat anything in front of me, but it was just, I couldn't believe it, you know what I mean? And that's, that stopped it. I couldn't get the smell off me for weeks. It was just mad. I just didn't put two and two together until then. Yes, I know, the butchers. Well, I know that um, this person that I'm just going to mention has kind of gone a bit odd. But Morrissey, I do remember in the 80s, I was quite a Smiths fan, to be honest. Um, and his kind of stance to, you know, animal rights was, for me, was brilliant. But I do remember was also being a vegetarian during that period, and still am, that, um, yes, people thought you were just a bit of a weird freak. So you must have been even more sort of, uh, I don't know, alienated. I mean, 
Yeah, I mean, to be totally honest with you, especially with the whole annual liberation fund thing, you know, obviously it's got very, there's no members, anyone's it, that's why it can't be broken, it's not an organisation, but even within that you have people that are pacifists and there's the people that are not, you know, so it's always been that kind of way. Um, but yeah, first of all, it was throughout the meat thing really, but I mean, I try and say to people like how easy it is now to be vegan, vegetarian. It's like back then you could get an onion roll and like it. I do know that speaking to quite a few about, you know, people who toured during the eighties, if you went to sort of, especially Germany, it was really hard to get a vegetarian meal because everything had meat in it, literally. Cause I can remember going to Berlin and someone saying, by the way, you're going to have to pick the meat out. And you're thinking that's not really what I want, but actually I, I'm going to starve otherwise. It's amazing. People say, you know, chicken? No. In the name, vegetable. Yes, I know. I know the poor chicken always got it, didn't it? Yeah, I don't know why. It's not seen the same, apparently. But it's like with the animal thing, you know, earlier on and stuff like that, especially the anti-reception stuff, it became very popular to sing about, as you know. Um, we stayed with it. A lot of people, it did sell a lot of records to Nation Arrow, it was so ridiculous. But um, a lot of people backed off it after a while, and but we didn't do it for effect. Yes, I did. I didn't. I did realize, or sort of, I've heard people who said, Oh, I just became a vegetarian because I like the Smiths, and then it was like, then I gave it up after a year, and you thought, Yeah. Did you, not, did you not sort of think actually this is quite a decent thing to do? It's like, you know, have you not yeah, seen? No, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't get it. You either want to do it, you don't really, don't you? It's like how you feel about things. You know, to me, it's, it's, yeah, it's natural. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So, when, so as, as the 80s progressed, did you, did you have to sort of leave home during, you know, when you got to 16? I, I, no, I, well, I moved over to Bromley, which is where I used to have the flat there. Um, I lived there for a while, but I've always came backwards and forwards. Um, so no, I didn't, you know, until, oh, I think, 90s maybe. But I've always been very, very close to my family. They're, they're not about anymore, but it's just that's the way we were. Yes. Dad disagreed with me totally, but he was like my best mate as well. <laughs> Talking cheese as far as what, you know. <laughs> Yes, I would yeah. imagine. What did your parents, what were they, what were they doing, you know, during their life? You know, I just wonder what sort of, um, what their kind of, in, you know, like job or, you know, interests Dad, were. Dad was um, a school keeper. So we'd always lived in schools on yeah. site. So that was from about the age of four, I think. Um, and we came out of Peckham. I think he used to deliver coke before that, but then, you know, he'd become a schoolkeeper right to the end. Nice. I always remember the kind of caretaker that walked around with lots of keys. Yeah, and you live on site, so you've got a lot of space. <laughs> you do have a lot of space, and you basically have the summer to play play on your yeah, own. Yeah, nice. <laughs> you know, obviously, because you had all the school stuff, you had all the table tennis tables. It was fortunate. Yes, well, I'd imagine. I spotted, you know. I, I spotted it by rehearsing there when, when he went on holiday and got in trouble for that. <laughs> <laughs> so when the suddenly appeared and you know Thatcher got into power and suddenly there had been the Falkland war and then you know the, obviously the minor strike this is when you formed the band isn't it? Um, well yeah I mean from the early, from the early days um, I mean it was the Thatcher thing stuff like I mean I still couldn't get to grips with how quickly it fell into place and that actual people agreed with it 
you know, we had a few clashes and stuff like that, but it was quite weird to see that people actually started to agree with it. And our first gig was we played with the UK subs. We was on like just as the doors opened. Uh, Gillian, I think that was October 79, I think. And then uh, our first real gig we did ourselves, April 11th, 1981. Yeah, local church hall. Yeah. Yes, and then you you on the sort of did you get a label? Did did you get signed by? It was uh, Corpus Christi Records quite quickly. Well, we had we had a thing. We we done first of all we had our own tape label, which was called Mortgage Tapes, Pan and Watergate Tapes. But it was when I started because Steve came to see the first gig, and I think just as a favour, to be honest with you, and I think he said to Crass, you know, yeah. You know, I think he jogged them along a little bit. So the first one was out on Crash Records, the House of Manville. Yes. Uh, it wasn't actually a signed thing, but then it was then Corpus Christi was running side by side with it, the same thing, owned by Southern really. Um, and then we went on to do, we went on to do that. Um, just a second, oh no, you know, we did the eccentrics thing on Poison Girls label, live at the Central Iberico. We did that. Yes, because on um, on Corpus Christi they had quite an interesting roster. I mean, it's you know they had um, they had the very things, and also little Annie Anxiety as well, who I interviewed recently yeah. as well. So um, yeah, you must have. So were you at this stage looking at sort of being in a band as a sort of um, I suppose not as a career, but sort of like actually this could all happen and fall into place? Um, I, th- I, th- I presume we would just do that single. Yeah, that's really what I presume would happen. Um, and yeah, and then we did the live one. And then, I don't know, I don't know where the idea came from to a nation, but it just seemed, it kind of grew really, really quickly. Very quick. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Because 83, that's when the first album comes out. It's time to see who's who. So that was, um, when you went into the studio, had you got all the songs written for that? Yes, well, 90%, yeah. 90% of that one, um, and we did it in Southern with uh, Pete and Penny producing it for us, which was, was not often come out all right, really. I mean, it's obviously dated now, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know, actually. I mean, it's quite, you know, the artwork as well. I mean, it was, it's got quite the image, hasn't it? Yeah, that was that went against the grain at the time because they didn't want a colour cover, obviously, especially full colour at that time because it cost a lot. Um, but the actual writing on it is all done by hand, and that was done by um, uh, Lance, well, bass player, Poison Girls. Right. The whole thing literally mashed, mashed up, mashed paper, and literally did it with a pen. We used to go backwards and forwards a whole lot. Yeah. Yes. Pretty it's good. Quite, yeah, I, I liked the way it came out. Yeah, and I, think, I think it helped itself. I think that's why it sold to many as well, because it was just an attractive cover. Did you find that you were already part of a kind of a scene, which kind of obviously is going to sort of propel you to a certain, you know, like a, being a, a rocket taking off? Did it feel a bit like at that stage actually that there is a movement and we are part of this movement? Well, obviously, we've always been part of that because we used to follow Crass around and stuff like that. So we've always been onto that thing and into the anti-political side of things, shall I say. Um, but again, with its time to see who's who, it was just, you know, should we really doing an album? <laughs> and we did it, and of course, you know, it went straight in at number one and kept six gang till off the top, and it was just ridiculous. <laughs> was just, I couldn't believe it. Yes, and how did that affect you kind of emotionally, suddenly being this kind of a, a front man and also sort of almost, a, not a voice for a generation, but definitely sort of a, a, 
a vocal person who who speaks for sort of a crowd of people? Well, as I say, with that first album, I just said what I felt really. I think after that, I began to think, hang on, you know, we could, you know, do something good here, really good. And that's obviously when we did To a Nation, they will have a single. Yes, I know. And then, I mean, obviously at this stage, because with, you know, most bands, they've, and you probably realise this now yourself, is that everyone has kind of like these kind of um, relationships within the band, isn't there? There's the sort of the honeymoon period, which is great. And then there's a slightly, oh, all right, we're in a relationship here. And there's kind of issues that haven't been spoken about or dealt with properly. And then you have those kind of sort of the second and third album problems. Did you sort of looking back sort of realise, oh yes, this, these are the things that happened that we, we didn't realise what was going to happen because we were just young and on this journey? Yeah, I mean, you know, a couple of people left uh, after it's time to do do because it was just that it wasn't what they wanted. You know, first drummer had gone. Um, he just didn't. <laughs> he was doing it for you know just to play in a little tap about band, and all of a sudden it was like. So I think that came, but I think most of our problem is it ran away too quickly because we was well involved in everything else around it. You know, everything else it was about, as you say, Stone the Bells, the Stone Ends. You know. Yes. Minor strike, uh, whopping, poll tax, you know, class war, animal liberation front. Yes, Red Wedge. We love Red Wedge. Well, kind of. You probably wouldn't have loved Red Wedge, though, would you? Mm, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, yeah, the old Greenpeace thing, you know, and stuff like that, you know. Um, yes. It was just, that's like, you know, when we went to do Ungovernable Force after. Because obviously after corporate, after we'd done to a nation, then we broke away and started our own label properly. And Kate came up with the first single, Serenade is Dead. And that's I think that's to to me when I liked the way we were going a lot more. I mean I love to I love the other stuff, but that was like our own, if you know what I mean. It was us producing it and no one was batting in and do you know do you get what I mean? Yes, absolutely. And, uh, yeah. You, know, you know, on that the, the album, The Unforgettable Force, there's this, you know, the incredible song, You Cannot Win. Can you remember how that came about? Because it's, it's kind uh, of... From a movie called Fred's. Pardon? It's from a movie called Fred's, about, a, about well, we call it Sheffield Gets It. <laughs> uh, just a, it was about a nuclear war that had happened, that we obviously fiction, but uh, she, I think the lady was part of the... So she's part of the party. It actually speaks on it, but the whole the whole bit uh, is is from that film. Obviously, right. not the entire bit with us, yeah. But you know, that all that you kind of win a nuclear war and all the noises and stuff like that, yeah. Yes, and that the, and, and it's a stunning song because um, you know at the time, did you sort of think the world was was literally going to be you know annihilated with the Reagan Thatcher kind of? Oh, yeah. It's beyond that, yeah, yeah, definitely. It was just, it was just crazy, wasn't it? You know, it was just ridiculous. Um, but yeah, and you know, I think a lot of people did. I mean, it used to scare. You know, used to think it's, and I've never under, ever, ever understood it. I thought, you know, we we'll destroyed the world fifty times over. It's like, why? <laughs> yes. I mean, say, I mean, it was kind of interesting because you also had that green, the green and common, you know, women as well. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, at the time, you know, it was just... Well, I went in there with, because of um, Vice and the Poison Girls, I knew very well, and she was very involved. We were up at Lake and Heath, where the missile base was as well, the other ones. Yeah. So, yeah, no, we it. it was just, you, you, can do, you could do so much, but not a lot, you know. 
Yes. And did you have kind of, because there was, I can't remember who it was actually, but it was one of these bands who were probably part of the narco-punk scene who just got really fed up with the, a lot of the audience that would turn up and not quite get what they were on about, but just kind of wanted to kick off and have a fight. And eventually I think he just gave the band up because he thought, I just can't cope with this. This isn't what I'm about. Did you have kind of issues like that sometimes, frustration with, you know, what you're trying to do, what you're trying to say, and then at the same time, people coming but not having the same kind of um, intent? I mean, to be honest with you, not really, because we was from the... I suppose not, not, I can't find a better word. We wasn't quite 100% in a certain stable, you know, and so I just wrote about whatever I wanted to write about. Obviously, you know, it, sometimes it was upsetting that we'd be singing Meat Means Murder and, and you see them in the kebab shops afterwards on the way home and stuff like that, you know. Um, but to be honest with you, we've been having so many clashes with, you know, right wing and left wing by then that, you know, yeah, it really time to notice that. Around the 90s, I began to think I've become what I don't want to be because it was like just everyone was there. And um, oh, sorry, come from this. Um, can you still hear me? Yes, I can hear you. I cannot look here. Um, yeah, and I just thought it was kind of, I wasn't going through emotions, but it was just it, the same people at every gig, if you know what I mean. Um, Obviously, all, all over the place, but I began to think, hang on, I just this is kind of entertainment now, right? I just wondered if that that kind of I just wondered what it was like as an artist where you're starting to think, actually, I don't want to just go into the recording studio on the next album and just do exactly the same, but I really want to slightly change it a bit because I was just actually to be honest, I've been listening to the last album you did, I think it was the last one, There's No Power Without Control, yeah. which has got. So, I mean, that is such a musical masterpiece, isn't it? I do love um, Diet uh, Dodie. Dodie. That, is, that is one of the great songs of our time. You know, lyrically, it's just brilliant. And the local as well is, is quite genius. I've, I, I've think that, I mean, when Cherry Rivers laughing yesterday, I mean, it's 18 years now since I did that, but I've never done an album, never been signed to anybody where I've had to do an album, and I've never done one unless I've felt like it, you know. And it takes time I suppose but yeah and I also think that there has to be a reason it has to be relevant you know and I think it still is yes and it's just you know it's kind of got a no, I, like, I like there's no power I think that's my favorite album yeah I do I just think there's a playfulness within the music and there's an intensity which reminds me a bit of some of the stuff that the dead Kennedys did and DOA I think it was DOA, you know, that Jello Biafra played with on a, one particular yeah. album. And that was just had that kind of quality to it. But then there was this kind of the vocal um, piece that you've got with this particular woman who I, I actually don't know who her name is, but it was just, it was just very amusing. And uh, it had a, a kind of a rhythmic power to it, which, you know. That, yeah, yeah is, is, I, I mean, I think to us, it, uh, when it got ridiculous reviews, um, leaving in the Sunday Times. <laughs> um, <laughs> which was a bit disturbing, but, um, and for, for that one, we actually used, for the first time, a press agent, which was uh, Work Hard, I think they called, and mm -hmm. it was worth it because it got little clips in everywhere, the Dorset Echo, you know, places you wouldn't even think, which I think helped it, but to me, I wanted it to come out of the traps, and I think it did, you know. 
Yeah, I, I must admit, you know, it's it's, um, it's it's just a great album. I must admit, I've, you know, I've been sort of reading because thankfully people now put the lyrics online. So I was just kind of reading through a lot of the lyrics kind of, and that's why I sort of remind reminded me a bit of Joseph Porter. I know he does a lot of more historical stuff about kings and queens of Britain, and but, you know, it's still very yeah. well done. You know, you can see that somebody has got a lot of, um, yeah, talent there and, and the same with the amount of, thought I think you thought that you put into your lyrics even though you might say I may just but it did has it did it change much as you started you know coming up you know realizing I mean and, and I, you mentioned sort of you you suddenly felt like in the 90s you'd become you know this person who was then more of an entertainer and having to play the part did you sort of also feel as an artist that you had changed much in that time um, no, no, I don't think I don't changed as an artist. I wasn't, I can't say I was despondent or anything like that. We wasn't doing festivals then either. So it was, I, I don't know. I, I think by that time, obviously we was banned and stuff like that. And that was a great challenge to just go undercover and play secret keys under different names. And so that was all good. But when it got to about the conclusion stage, I like the album, I do like it, but it was kind of, I don't know, it was, I like the lyrics, I like the music, but it, there was not much fight going on as much as there was before, which is, you know, where, what, it, what we was all about, really. Did you have, um, because obviously with a lot of it, you know, it, and, and it was kind of interesting talking, I keep mentioning Joseph Porter, don't I? but in, in, with him, and he was talking about being in the band and wanted to make it much more of a collective band and everyone had a vote. And he said, eventually, he thought, actually, this is my band, and I've just had enough of it. And I'm just going to make the decisions. Yeah. I do virtually all the work. And, yeah. you know, and it's just taken me so much time sitting in meetings and then getting people trying to sue my ass because they pretended they wrote a song. And you're thinking, you know, so he said that it was kind of his, one of his kind of... Well, there, has, there has to be, I think, a common... I mean, no one's really objected to, to much or anything like that. I think we all had a common understanding but of course you're always going to get differences of opinion as well on how things should be done how they shouldn't be done i've always been in control of the music and the production and stuff like that so that was good yes because when you did that was the final conflict you did this one this was recorded at the lodge in suffolk that's right yeah enid's studio which was quite interesting because i did meet um a guitarist who recently had talked about that experience being there and um, they had a bit of a strange experience. What was your experience like? What, at that studio? Yeah. Okay, yeah, it was fine. I mean, it was like, it was, it was good enough. It was a good enough place. Um, yeah, it was out in the middle of the night. I mean, we, did, we didn't really, we, we all got on. We just got on with it, really, you know. Yes. We, think, we, that's the second residential one we've been to because we've been to Rockfield before for the Ungovernable Force, so kind of got used to that then. Yes, the, the famous because there was a very good documentary, wasn't there, a few months ago probably on on that particular studio. Did that help having everybody together being focused on one particular project? Well, to, to be honest with you, when we got to Rockfield, we didn't have a tune or a lyric. <laughs> um, Jungle Records had backed it to the tune of £14,000 then for a two-week lock-in. Um, but, and obviously, they kept saying, yeah, you, you know, ready? Yeah, I'm ready, ready. <laughs> but after increased pressure, you know, we, we was out doing we was on the street battles, you know, as, as we've just mentioned, all of that. So there weren't really time to write an album, so we got to Rockfield and 
engineer said, what do you want to do? I said, we might as well go away with a couple of toes. <laughs> and we just went for it. We just spoke about what was happening. And that's, that's what shocked me about that album being absolutely in so many others. Yes. Did uh, I mean, I know when I know when I think it was Iggy Pop once talking about his life, saying that he couldn't write the material that he did back in the say the seventies because he couldn't be that young and sort of that messed up and that kind of on the edge. You know, he can't be that person again. Did you when you look back at that? Was was there an element that you also feel like God? You can't you can't stay in that situation or be in that position. For that um, long in your life? I think, to be honest with you, because when we put out the Increased Depression album, um, I mean, that was exactly what was going on. And when we got to do The Ungovernable Force, it's just what was happening around us. <laughs> you know, it was just what was, it wasn't for effect. And it was weird the way it came out, because it came out like a little bit of a concept, but it was never meant to be. Yes, I know. This is some. Um... I know. Well, it starts with, you know, the epic kind of ambient number, which must have slightly kind of confused a few of your fans. <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. I mean, some people go, oh, I like this, but I don't like that. But I get that, you know. Um, I don't know. I think, I think the This Not Remains is, it's, yeah, I think it's by far the best. <laughs> yes. Well, it's pretty, yeah, it's pretty amazing. And then, you know, because during that period, I remember sort of going to see people like Napalm Death and Extreme Noise Terror and, and yeah. those kind of bands. Did they, did any, I mean, they, they were quite different, I suppose, but did any of that kind of influence start coming into your kind of music? And No, no, we knew, we knew them, obviously, and they knew of us, you know, but, um, yeah, but no, no, not really. Um, I mean, our, our sound kind of went up a gear when uh, Kevin, a guy called Kevin Webb joined the band. Um, and he had this uh, great style, which is more of a Ace of Spades motorhead style rather than a trashy punk style, you know. So, um, and it worked. And it worked. And it brought this whole bigger sound to it. And then, obviously, because we was having to go into our own studios, like the Greenhouse, that we could lay our guitars and guitar as many as we wanted, you know. And that's when we just come up with thinking, you know, it's got to be a massive sound. It's like we take a day on the drum sound, whereas most bands crack an album out in two days. Yes. That was kind of, and what, and how were you coping with sort of bringing in new members and sort of trying to get the, you know, I mean, people like David Bowie spent his life being a sort of solo artist, but always brought yeah. together a very good band together to yeah. create what he wanted. I mean, you must have also had quite a similar experience of thinking, right, I need a guitarist here, or now we need another yeah. bass player. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, we've got a very good lineup now, and we've had that for a few years. Um, yeah, people have come and go. I mean, unfortunately, Kevin Kevin left the band because um, he pissed off a bit, basically, I think, and uh, he ended up, unfortunately, killing himself, um, which was, that was a major, uh, major blow, to be honest, not just his guitar quality, but he was a great person. He was a good ALF chap with me, can't mention it, you know, but yeah, he was bang, it, bang on. But um, yeah, so that was sad, obviously. Um, obviously, when Paco uh, had to stop and then he died, obviously, um, yeah, that was that was big, you know, because Paco was kind of he wasn't there, he wasn't there right at the start, but he was very, very bang into it, you know, 100%. It was his life, you know, yes. I mean, that's kind of uh, yeah, that's the one thing that sort of catches us all really in life is those moments where 
you know, you start hearing people going, oh, yes, I've got to go to hospital. I've got my chemo sessions. You think, oh, yeah. look, have we got to that stage in life? And um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, oh, I might be able to make it. I'm like, really? <laughs> yes. And um, how were you going down? I mean, when you were touring Europe? Uh, really took off. I'm going on a false time, really. The I'm going on a false tour was probably, I think, the longest tour I've done back to back. That was, that was really good. But again, still a lot of clashes. Um, Lots of clashes with different types of people and you know, political heads and stuff like that. Um, but it was good. It was good. It was very. It was different to now. Um, it was very very busy, but it's much smaller venues, obviously, uh, mainly squatted venues and stuff like that. Yeah, it, it was good. Did you ever fear for your life as you were sort of? You must have become occasionally a target yeah. for people. Oh yeah, and I've been involved in a lot of scrapes, but not really. No, I'm not someone that gets vexed really easily. Yeah. <laughs> <Which> was, <laughs> Just, well. <laughs> yes. Did you did you sort of, you know, as the decade rumbled on and then obviously, you know, Thatcher was in power for that time and then she's not in power. Did that did that sort of have an impact on you on the band at all? Well not band, but yourself. Did you feel like Thatcher when? Pardon? Well when Thatcher finished. Yes. Um, I've got a lot of stick. I've got a lot of stick for uh, this is not enough and neither is this that I wrote about and some of the stuff I wrote about the touring party and, you know, being blown up in Brighton. Um, but it wasn't, I said it's sad it had come to it. It had saddened me, but on the other hand, I was pissed off that it didn't a night like the long. <laughs> go down that well. <laughs> but um, no, it didn't really. I mean, because there was still so much going on. The foundations were already laid. That had made a mark, hadn't she? She had. But it was just, I suppose, looking back at it a little bit now, that rise of the, the Britpop moment, I just, now looking at it, you know, things, I mean, not fantastically, but there was a bit more, the, the individuals started to appear a lot more in the 90s and they say, say in the 80s which I felt was there was a lot about sort of groups communities tribes whereas the 90s became a little bit more like there was a more champagne cocaine the music industry suddenly got more money the independent labels indie bands suddenly became kind of on top of the pops and you know the yeah. rise of the individual started to to look like you know quite kind of they were people started becoming complacent I thought in the 90s yeah I mean Get me wrong, they've got a lot of time for Bella and I know Graham well. Um, I thought they were great, and you know, I, I still think they're good, good at what they do. Uh, obviously, it gets over to a lot of people, and every fellow's got grillers as well, isn't he? Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's all had its purpose. Yes. And what did you, I mean, when you get into that point where you were doing the, um, your sort of the last album from the, in the 90s in the venue, did that? What was the atmosphere like in the band then? It was good, but it was it was basically we wasn't even going to record that. We were just doing it as a concert, um, and it, yeah, they recorded it, and it came, and then we just stuck it out. To be honest with you, it wasn't intentional to come out. It was great. It was brilliant. It, uh, I think it was called. It used to be called the Heart Club before that, and I knew that because I'd been there quite a lot. But it, yeah, it was it was an amazing concert. Yes. Did you have a moment with the band during that period where it it finished? It never finished. We like everyone, you know, we never went away and we never quit and reformed. We just didn't didn't play, you know, just didn't play anymore. And that's through that stage. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, we'd done a conclusion and I, I just, and then it was actually Paco, there was a festival put on called Across the Decades in Milton Keynes. Oh, yeah. And it, with loads and loads of bands that we would have, ne- well, I would have personally never considered playing with before. Um, Paco said to me, will you do it? And I said, no, I don't really want to do it anyway, you know. But we did it and I, I was surprised how better the scene was to be honest with you, because back in the 80s, everyone keeps going on about it and that, but there was, there was a lot of backbiting and a lot of nastiness, you know, not between, just between bands, organisations, fanzines, and it became a little bit apparent that, um, you know, some bands do it for money, you know, uh, but at least they're honest and they say that, you know, mm-hmm. um, which I respected a lot more than, say, bands that say we're not in it for money, but and they're pretty happy to take a lot of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's always yeah, that, that went down, that went, that was great. Um, and then after that, I suppose, yeah, I've got to taste for it again, you know. And what did you, I mean, when that, because a lot of people, when they have that kind of intense period of being in a band, whether it's five years or 10 years, that's kind of 24 seven. And, you know, there's a lot that goes on. You probably realise that, you, you know, every waking hour of your life is kind of spent thinking about, you know, the music, the dynamics, you know, probably focusing on some of the stuff that you wish you weren't focused on all the time because it's just annoying and a waste of time, but it's hard to let go. But then oh. when, when there's a kind of a sort of a moment where, you know, I know you said the band didn't finish, but how did you cope, you know, with, you know, that, that period then for the rest of the 90s when you were um, not sort of thinking, oh, right, we've got this tour, we've got this kind of time in the studio? Really? I started, I got really into the acid house thing very early and ended up promoting a lot of the free parties. Uh, to me, I liked it because it was fresh, it was something new at the time, it was very, very good, uh, good attitudes and stuff like that. It wasn't another, you know, I don't know, you know like a mob revival or something. And it was great because the police were getting run about everywhere over it. <laughs> um, yeah, so I ended up, I ended up doing that and going to a lot of those things as well. Um, yeah, I'd say that took up a lot of the time, around around conclusion time as well. I was doing that then as well. Yes. Did um did ecstasy play a big part in your life? What, as in the drug? Yes. Um, I've used it. Did it, play, it didn't play a big part, to be honest with you, because like, obviously if you're promoting those places and you've got to be look after them and secure them and stuff like that. There's a lot to do. I mean, you know, don't get me wrong. I did, when I first did it, I had 50 business cards. I had 50 pound and I was just little tiny cards. And the bigger promoters here, were, you can't just put on an event, mate. You know? And I, I did. <laughs> but I did it for the fun of it. Um, and everyone said to me, how did that end up being so massive? And I, I don't know, because it just, it, it was real. We just did it for a party, you know. Yeah. Um, and it, it was, it, it got really, really silly. Yeah. How long did that last for? Uh, I did a thing called um, Asylum, which was Asylum Acid House, and that was with um, a lot of the really uh, deep, deep house DJs, you know, Chicago sound type DJs. Um, we did that. Uh, I was trying to think. We're going to stop that probably about 1988, maybe, 1989. No, 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 not 1980. So we did, basically, we did the illegal ones first, and then when they, because you used to be able to just hire a, a bit of farmland, for instance, yeah. and you could claim it was your home. You put a lawyer on the door, and you could claim it was, you know, your own thing, and they couldn't get you out for 48 hours, um, which was great because you'd have thousands of people there and they couldn't touch it. But 
then they changed the law over a couple of ecstasy deaths, which I found strange considering how many people die of alcohol and cigarettes <laughs> and stuff, you know, but obviously that was the way of changing the law. And once that was changed, it was much harder then. Yeah. So I came inside and uh, yeah, I did the venue. I had acid acid was at the venue. We did that for about eight weeks and then I got raided. And we did Distoria on a Monday, yeah. you know, for a theatre. Um, See, that was what I liked about it as well. It wasn't, oh, we'll go out on weekends. It was just, it was, I don't know, it was, not, it was nice. And what got me at our first one, because where I live as well, uh, and where the venue is, before that, I would have been horrified to see a lot of Mill and West Ham fans in the same venue. <laughs> um, and I thought, they were just all dancing with one another in bandanas. <laughs> yes. And I thought, well, this is good. This is good. Because, I mean, basically in London, let's say, you know, Echo started over that side. They did it first in the on East, and then we did South Side here. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, and then I went into a place called the Albany Empire, which is in Deptford, which is a community place. And uh, I ran that every Friday, I think, for about eight years, nine years. Blimey, that would have kept you busy, really, wouldn't it? Actually, yeah, it's actually mentioned in a book, London Dance Book, and it said this, that it was still today the longest-running weekly nightclub without a break ever. So, and that was with Ministry opening up, because Ministry tried to get me Ministry of Sound and didn't want to do that because it was their own thing, you know? Yes, absolutely. They, oh. That was called The Hole in the Moon, and that was more I'd be for Balearic sounds, you know? Yeah. Um, for instance, Happy Mondays, <laughs> everything, you know? Anything you can think of really was, was played. It was, it was, as long as it sounded good and went down, it was because we used to open. They used to open with the War of Words, which is on the start of um, Against All Odds. Yes. Um, and Paul Oakenfold used to open with it as well. And he, yeah, he was really good. So a whole load of shows used to come into that. And obviously, no one knew what it was. And I used to say to him, make sure you put the right side on, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So did you get to sort of start meeting quite a lot of different, you know, you must have been mixing in quite a different world to what you'd been in during the 80s, especially. Yeah, di di different, but in a way kind of kind of similar, uh, especially early on. I mean, don't get me wrong, I, I, pulled, I didn't like it when certain other scenes and heavier drugs was getting involved. The whole, I don't know, the whole thing had changed to me by then. Um, as I say, that's why I came out of the SNS thing. And I mean, we was, you know, we, we, had, we had people like Natural Life, Happy Mondays, um, used to go at the end all the time. We, we'd play anything. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> One New Year's Eve at midnight, we dropped Crazy Horses, Paddy Osmond's, and they went mad with it. <laughs> It's a great song. It's a great song. It's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, see, it's <laughs> it is really, yeah. But yeah, honestly, it was like, it didn't really, it was, it was kind of an indie crossover, you know, and European dance as well, like Nitzareb, things like that. Yeah, Front 242, Renegade yeah. Sandwave. Oh, fantastic. Yes, God, I remember. Even The Shaman, we loved The Shaman, and The Beloved. It was all good stuff, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, it's some good stuff. There was some good stuff. Yeah, I quite, you know, because I remember I was really obsessed with John Peel, so I got, I remember when he started playing things like Voodoo Ray by um, Voodoo Ray. A guy called Gerald, that's it. And, um, Good song. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, it was, it was kind of... I think we talking about John Peel earlier today. It was kind of intriguing. So what was your John Peel experience? Um, um, he want, we was going to do, I, would, I met them when Rubella Ballet done their session there. And then they approached us to do a the radio one to sing, and I didn't want to do it um, because it was the BBC, frankly. And I didn't never never had spoke to him, never heard from him. But he 
when he read Golden Copy of the Final Conflict and it said, Some seller asked him, BBC, I'm so proud they don't want me, he wrote me a letter and said they touched him. And but that, you know, that's what he did, but he, he could understand totally, which was nice. I've still got a letter. Nice. Oh, that's yeah. Sad. I just didn't want to do it, you know, it just uh, don't get me wrong, I think it paid very, very well as well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it just seems, you know, it's like, you know, when we when we did you know, when we was offered to sign for EMI and that, which was an awful lot of money back then, I just couldn't do it. You know, when you've, when you've been saying, oh, you stupid bastards help EMI and they fund this, they fund that, and you can't go... I personally don't think you could then go out and do something like that. It would, it would be, um, yes, it would be very tricky, actually. I know, I know a few bands who kind of made out it was all right to do it, but, you know, I think... It, OK, go, yeah. There was a little bit of like, yeah, you know, <laughs> I don't know. It would we, we was up in loads of it from a guy called Mike Stone who wanted to buy all the, all the rights to it, you know, stuff like, I think it was 325 grand back then. And, um, you know, I, I thought about it long and hard, what we could do with that money and, you know, what we could put it into. Similar to when, when Chumba did gather in America and um, let their song be used over there for something. And then, gave the money uh, to the people that were fighting the motor company, who's that yeah. day went <laughs> Which, you know, I had a lot of respect for them. It's each to their own, isn't it, really? But Mike Stone actually said to me, so at the end of this, we'll have a picture taken and review in an I'm a Stupid Bastard t-shirt. <laughs> I thought, really? You won't. <laughs> <laughs> and that was that, really, yeah. It's just, I don't know, you, you know, I mean, you, you, can, you can say that, you know, it's not just the fact that it's a major label, because to be honest with you, especially in America, independents are distributed by majors anyway. It's so big, you know. Um, same over here. It's like we used to use making press with all their records thinking we were independent, and that was owned by EMI. You didn't know too later. <laughs> but, you know, obviously back in the day, you had a good cartel circuit, rough trade, you know, Revolver, Red Rhino, very strong, you know. But, and then... I hate things like I didn't ever want to CD, I didn't ever want to do a CD, didn't want a barcode. Um, pretty, pretty awkward to work with, really. And then realised that the only way to get in a lot of these shops was to do that, to bend a little bit. Yes. And did you, on that point, did you manage to um, navigate that tricky world that is publishing and ownership of your music and, and work? I hadn't done until a few years ago, because we was always like... Um, we just never, never did it. I mean, it was only recently that I knew about performing rights. Is it performing rights? MCPS, is it? Performing yes. rights, yeah. Um, yeah, and Gavin, a guitarist, he said to me, have you ever done it? I went, no. And they, they just paid me out a couple of grand recently. So didn't even know. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, which has never been a thing, really. I mean, we're with Cherry Red now for our publishing, as well as more hate, Cherry Red. Um, but yeah, it's ridiculous, you know, you're getting that stuff on clipper lighters and <laughs> pretty strange, I must admit, but... Yes. So when you went, you know, you sort of had this gig in, you know, festival at sort of Milton Keynes, did that sort of suddenly feel like something changed in your sort of kind of thinking? I mean, I'd always loved it and always had a passion for it, but that just reaction was just amazing, you know, when played for years. And... The reaction was just so great and it was strong again and I, and I enjoyed it you know enjoyed it a lot and that's why I thought right come on let's get on with it again you know yeah I mean well we played much bigger I mean you know uh, when we went out and played 
that uh, Nagasaki Nightmare Festival, the Olympic Auditorium, which was ridiculous. Never seen anything like that. I mean, before that, we'd only played 300 people, there was like 15,000 people. <laughs> and did you, and have you done much in America touring wise? Been to America a lot of times. Um, have you been uh, to Las Vegas to do that bowling and punk kind of festival? Yeah, I don't know Mark. Yeah, Mark Stern has done it. To be honest with you, I thought it was really, really good and we went down a storm. But again, we get a lot, we get a lot of sticks for doing things like that. But we also pay, we get over to a lot of people there as well. Um, I mean, so many people got different misconceptions. I mean, a lot of the hardcore punks there, you know, loved it. But before that, they went, oh, I thought you were a hippie band and stuff like that, you know. Um, on the other side of the con, we always make sure that we don't want people just just want to see conflict. Pay that money, so we pay somewhere as well, like either free or you know, with the agreement of Mark, we said like we won't advertise it till the day because we played Sunday. We second down to Dropkick Murphys, and it was really good. That was good. Yes, well, I, you know, it's some it bigger ones as well. We did. Uh, it's not dead. You know, the Kevin Lyman one. Yeah, that was huge with Pennywise and all that, which was really weird. Um, just to be on to play to that many people, um, riot fests, they did yeah. those. So that yeah, was good. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I suppose, uh, you know, like you were, you, you were sort of saying that now that you play, you know, during the 80s, you know, all the probably infighting and backbiting and backstabbing, I suppose, um, kind of get, to get to you a bit tired and you think, God, there, there is something yeah. else more important to think about than trying to do that to me. Have yeah, I mean, I used to let every little comment, obviously they weren't on social media when we started, but I used to, once that was there, I used to let comments get to me and now I just don't even, don't even think about it, don't even look. Do you think people have got kinder, slightly kinder towards like what you're trying to do? I think people accept more that it's not, it's not a band that's for effect or to make money, although, you, you know, you get accused of making money, but it certainly hasn't. Um, but I think, I don't know, I think it's because it's, I mean, most people have seen us over the last three or four years, including Jenna, we have punk or bowling, said it's the best we've ever been. Because um, it's, it's still exactly as it was. It's just done, it's just done better. Yes, absolutely. So when you came into the studio to do the album, There's No Power Without Control, I mean, it's the sound and, and the kind of production and the lyrics and then the vocals, you're, you're sort of with, um, Who's the woman who's singing on it, by the way? That one that would be Sarah Taylor. Um, got a great voice. Um, yeah. Yes. D had the, had you got all those sorted out before getting into the studio? Well, I do. I mean, I've always wrote ninety percent of the music anyway. But from the, there's the put now you put in a footage single. I wrote all of it, start to finish, beats the lot. With There's No Power, I did it with a guy called Mark Pickstone first, who was involved, got us the Union studio. Uh, I think he was in, done some stuff with Inks as well, with Steve and, and um, we basically, we just basically worked it out ourselves. I mean, Carlo, I actually, I always do music first before, before any lyrics anyway, um, but Carlo actually had the old tune just in my head. Totally, um, start to finish, <laughs> which is weird. <laughs> as, as my band will tell you, I'm a bit of a caveman. I have to hum it into a cassette. <laughs> but we, we've, you know, okay, going to that song which I mentioned at the beginning, Dodi, Dodi Yogi. Yeah. Um, yes, because just fit the lyrics with it. So you've got the music, and then you're sort of trying to sort of work out how the music's uh, the lyric is going to fit. Well, 
I mean, obviously, the, the ideas of it, I mean, I've got book loads of little notes and one-liners and stuff like that. So I had an idea what I wanted to do lyrically on the whole album, but no, I always go in first and just get the music done, you know, as near as damn it, then take that away, then go and overdub bits and pieces and that, because I won't do this cut and paste nonsense, which is why it sounds bigger, because... So, say for instance, on the second track, there's no power, there's, I don't know, there's at least nine or ten rhythm guitars, and they're all played separately because you play them slightly differently, but if you don't mean to, it gives it a much bigger sound. Yeah, uh, yeah and it's analog as well. Obviously, it had to be bounced down onto the computer, but I've called everything onto, yeah, two inch analog, yeah. Yes, and when you, and when you sort of got to hear that come back, you know, play back, were you like, wow, that's an amazing track? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I knew. Obviously, the demo with the demo of it, which me and Mark was doing, you know, bits and pieces. It was played with a drum machine at his house, you know, and stuff like that. Um, he was over the moon because obviously, once the demo was over, it was just I got on with it, you know. Uh, he was doing his other thing and stuff like that. And when I when I played it, he went, "I can't believe it. that it came out." And it's just I don't know. It's just you know, you just get more ideas, and you get more ideas when you're in the studio as well. I mean, I'm, great, I'm one for wanting to layer guitars, but I'm also one that has little subtle guitars in the background that you can only hear in headphones. And, you know, I think that's important. And to get a rough mix, and then I usually bring, do a really rough mix, bring that away, and then I start to piece how I want the vocal pattern to be, you know, like that, really. Because yeah. there is lyrics, I do it differently as well. I don't sing straight off, obviously. I usually do say line one, line three, drop in for line two and four, you know, like that, because it's, you know, to get, you can't get expression in otherwise. Yeah. I mean, did you, I mean that's, that came out sort of 18 years ago. Are you, um, especially with the lockdown, has, has kind of, has it made you feel like, God, we, we could get back in the studio and do another it's, album it's, soon? It's always been the intention. It's just... Um, as you say, with lineup changes, um, it was really hard, especially after Paco when a guy called uh, Spike T. Smith joined us on drums. He played for Morrissey as well, really good drummer. Took a bit, you know, it, that was a massive loss, Paco, to be honest with you. Um, and then, but now, I've kind of always wanted this, the old set, or it's not even old, but to be the best it could possibly be. And we achieved, I think we achieved that probably about six years ago seven years ago yes god do you do you sort of think right this is it this is a great lineup no one leaves no one just goes <laughs> well you never know what's around the corner but now i've got, got a brilliant lineup yeah now yeah. i mean we've got amazing we've got an amazing drummer called Stu. we've got Gus king who plays in fields and nephilim on guitar he's amazing he's been with me 10 years 11 years now um got a new bass player because our bass player had to quit um, and we've got a, a, a girl called Fiona who's in another band her band called Dragster and she's bang on she's amazing yes this is good so does that mean there's any kind of plans I know you've got the reissue and, and the box set with Cherry Red Do, has there any plans for sort of any new material coming out there well, yeah no it's, it's yeah no I've actually done a deal for, for the new album but well there's no powers getting re-released um, didn't want it as part of the set because I wanted it to come out. I don't know if you've seen them, but I've got I've, I've made a lot of um, videos, video tracks for each one. And they're on YouTube. We're going to put it out in a special cover with the videos and stuff like that, you know. Because yeah. I wanted that to come out in a gatefold cover as well. Um, just make a nicer package of it because I think it deserves it. And then as soon as that's out, new single and album. 
Fantastic. This is all good. I, I guess you, I can send you some of the demos. If you yeah, absolutely. Because I, you know, because I obviously this has come at a good time in your life, you know, sort of mid 50s, still lots to play for. I mean, it, it, I mean, it, to be honest, it's amazing. And, you know, and, and it pisses some bands off. I'm not mentioning names, but how we are, are popular and how we do so when we don't do anything, you know, for 17 years. It's what it's about. It's not about the band. Well, obviously, you know, the band's better now than it's ever been, but it's, it's what it's about. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a way of life, isn't it? Yes. And you, you still put on a great live show. Yeah, I think better now, much better now. I mean, all, all the way along the line, teething problems, people not, you know, maybe stepping up to the mark or whatever, or too fast, too slow, not listening. But yeah, no, no, it is, it's bang on. I know that I can just put my maximum potential in um, with every appearance now because I know that it's going to be there, you know. Yes. <laughs> we don't stop. We, I, when, when I saw the moments years ago, I was so impressed that their set never stops. And we don't, it's very, very, might be a second or two between one track, but mainly it's bang, bang, bang. Yeah. Well, uh, we're going to come in with you. <laughs> it's a bit awkward. <laughs> yes. So I, don't, I don't rehearse either. I'm the band, band to tell you that, but that, you know, they, they work really hard to get away. And I'm there, but I can't rehearse. No. <laughs> well, it's inter it just kind of, it's interesting because there's a couple of weeks ago, possibly a month, there was a film about a band called The Nightingales who were a sort of, they were the prefects and then they supported the clash and then they were, became the nightingales and they did their stuff for 10 years and then it all falls apart. But then they've kind of been they're together. Gonna, they've they're got they're gonna be in a student market, were they? Pardon? They play a lot of student unions and stuff like that. I would have thought so. They, well, I yeah. say that. I suppose they go under the title of post-punk, really. But, yeah. but the interesting thing is that he's now got himself together, Rob Lloyd, and seems vaguely together even though, you know, we're all getting older and, you know, you've been up and down in life and sort of hit the, hit some, not the heights, but sometimes hit the lows and, and sort of now he's got a good band and, and he had an album out a couple of years ago and, and he's almost kind of got that sort of like, okay, I'm not going to mess this up now. This, this is a good thing. Do you, do you have a similar feeling sort of like, actually, we're, we're in quite a good position. It's kind of lined up quite well for us. I think now it's better than ever. I mean, don't get me wrong, they're not, they're not session musicians or anything like that. I mean, they're banging to what they're what they're into. I mean, Fee's been vegan for thirty years, thirty odd years. Cat's vegetarian, and the others are really into their, their own their own thing, you know. Um, but they, they actually believe in it as well. It's not that they love it. Obviously, everyone likes to do it. Uh, it's a very fortunate position. I hear a lot of bands moaning all the time about oh, this that, and now, and I think, wow. <laughs> you know, it's to me. I feel very fortunate to be in that position to actually be able to enjoy being up there and getting it over to a lot of people. You want absolutely, my God! You get to a certain age, basically yeah. our age, and you just want to walk and talk, don't you? And not yeah, I mean, as I say, when I don't rehearse, there is no game plan with me. Really, it's not. I've always said I'm not a performance. I'm not an actor. Yeah, uh, it's just it's depending on the mood, I suppose. <laughs> Do you, because um, your lyrics are so intense, do you actually, uh, is a, do you, because a few are singers and I, I don't, you know, judge them, but, you know, have a certain, you know, the, you can see the lyrics, they've sort of got like, I just need the book there just in case I kind of, are you still, you, you know? Yeah, no, 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 and I'm not, I've, I've never been nervous to say what, how I think, the way I want to do it, or I won't write safe stuff as well, you know, I might, I might, 
flirt with a couple of ideas, you know, to, to put thoughts in other people's heads. Um, rather than, you know, oh, don't get me wrong, it's very easy to write the same old thing and, you know, fetch, 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 that style stuff, you know. Some, well, again, yeah, I've had a lot, a lot of bands that have stayed with it and do believe in it, but also know a lot that didn't, yes. didn't in the first place. <laughs> That's a bit, yeah. So look, what would you, I mean, if you could have said something to her like your 18 year old self starting out and you just thought with all these decades of experience and the, you know, what goes with it, would, is there anything that you would have liked to have just whispered in their ear, even if they ignored it, would you have just said, you know, just had a few moments that you'd have just a couple of bullet points or even one bullet point? To, to be honest with you, um... I mean, it's not for me. It's not for me to be that person, is it? Really, it's. Uh, I wouldn't change anything. I mean, there's you know, there's been good times, there's been bad, there's been plenty of mistakes, but that's just just normal, isn't it? You know. Yeah. It's like years and years. I always said. I mean, I said I wasn't going to play a gig after thirty. That's gone a bit past. But uh, I always said to myself, if I couldn't, when I when I personally weren't can anymore, then I walk away. But it's hard to walk away from yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you, you, you're the one person that can't sort of, yeah, give up. Yeah, it's, it's like, you know, no, I don't, know, don't get me wrong, I think it's getting over. And I think most people would agree that, you know, we've played some amazing festival and gone down really well from with Full Force, metal festivals and stuff like that. And, you know, I think most people would agree that we're, we're at a peak now. Yes. Does it, I mean, I know nostalgia is a bit of a tricky one at the best of times but do you sort of feel that the legacy of the band is too good to let it just drop that that means well, you know i'd always when we did this when when i did there's no power i thought that's probably going to be the last album um because i was happy with it i thought that's it that's that's brilliant um and i wouldn't do one in my view that was ever worse than the last one with the, with, I mean, conclusion's different, but I, I personally think they've all got better and better. And that's the way I've done this much range. I've gone track by track from start to bottom, you know, beat Carlo, beat There's No Power. It's a very similar style. Um, it's very out in traps. There's a bit more, um, a, couple, a couple of little dubby bits and a bit of lighter stuff, but mainly it's, yeah, same conflict style, really. Yes, we love our dub, don't we? Yes, I've right. said I'll send you some in a little while for some demos. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's more or less really in place now. Um, I've got to obviously get together with a band and you know get them all to know it, and before we get in the studio, we'll help. But most of it will be done in there. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I remember I loved Motorhead, and I remember their last three albums. They'd got a producer, and they'd obviously got a studio that they were recording. And the, those albums sound as good as anything from the very early days. I mean, their mid, what some yeah. of their mid albums weren't that brilliant, but I think that was just lineup changes. And but they got a producer. Did is that the case that you feel like actually we know what we're doing now, and we know somebody who can get the best from it, or yourself can get the best from it? Yeah, I'm, yeah. I mean, yeah. I know. I knew what I wanted from similar from to a national memory of us, but say similar is dead track. That's when. I knew that what, how I wanted the drum sound and how I wanted bigger wall of guitars. Um, uh, or Martin Superior, for instance, yes, yeah, that's just I know, loads and loads of guitars and stuff like that. Just, just make it, I, I wanted it to be a much bigger sound than, you know, I hate to use the word, but other punk bands were happy, you know, with, as I say, a day on a drum sound when most bands are knocking over that on the weekend. Um, 
and I like to experiment as well. It's like, you know, I, like, I, I don't like using effects on anything and a couple of noise gates on drums maybe, but no distortion um, on bass or anything like that. It's just got a bit of pure power. And for instance, um, instead of using effects and reverbs, so when we was in the studio last time, there was a long corridor and I put the guitar amp at one end, the mic right in front of the cab, one halfway down the corridor, one at the end of the corridor, making an amazing big sound. Yes, well, I, I remember it was um, listening to the people talking about John Bonham getting that guitar uh, drum sound of um, when the something breaks track, you know, just that power of... of yeah, of, that, I think it's important. I mean, obviously, you do need to get really good tom sounds. You do need noise gates and that, but it's also, you, you can't reproduce what isn't recorded right. I've seen so many bands, you know, oh, that do, and then, well, that don't sound great. <laughs> Yes, I have spoke to a few producers who just said, you know, obviously the band said, look, could you do something with this? And he's like, no, you're going to have to go and do this again. I can't, I can't yeah. make anything from this kind of yeah. half-assed yeah. effort you've done, thinking yeah. that wrinkle some fairness <laughs> and make a big hit from it. So, um, yes. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it, it all depends what the band want, obviously, as well, but I don't see any point in having a producer or myself there unless you want someone to help. Yes. Where are you where are you going to record it? It's debatable. There was talk about going back to Rockfield. Um, I believe the dam doing there on the quite soon, I think. And when it reopens, I don't know. Um, I don't know. Not not totally sure, but it will be, you know, it's, it will be a really proper studio analog and with all the right stuff. Yeah. Well, it's Rockfield. Rockfield. Well look. This, Colin, thank you ever so much. I'm glad we got this together in the end. Well, it took so long. <laughs> That's all right, it's live. But um, yeah, it's good timing. And um, yeah, I'd love to, um, yeah, if you've got those, any demos. I think we're over time, and you can mention them, can't you? So see what you think. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. And um, I know Matt from Cherry Red, who's always good. So um, I'll get him to, um, yeah, I'll be in touch. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll look forward to seeing the uh, the box set. Well, definitely the, uh, I love the, the booklets. Have they sent them off to you yet? Pardon? Have they sent you some? No, but he's very good at sending, you know, like the, yeah. you know, files through and stuff like that. But yeah. But look, this is good. I'm, I'm hopefully, you know. Well, thank you very much for, um, for having us on. You know what I mean? It's nice. Yeah, no, it's great. And it's just brilliant. We managed to do it in the end. But look, thanks a lot and take care. And hopefully. Thank you very much. We'll get through this year. And yeah, we will. Okay, look, take yeah. care. Bye-bye. Thank, thank you. Cheers. Take care. And that, dear listener, is the end of the interview. You probably guessed that. And well done if you're still with it. Anyway, that was me in conversation with Colin from Conflict, as we like to, um, yes, communicate. A uh, big thank you for giving me the time for that. And as I said at the beginning, and probably we mentioned it in the interview, there was these two uh, five-CD box sets that have just come out um, from 82 to 87 and then from 88 to 94. You don't really need to worry about that, do you? Just go and buy them. They're on Cherry Red Records, and they're really good value. So, look, if um, if you want to contact me for some random reason, make it nice, though. God, please. Um, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just do C86 Show. And also, yeah, all these interviews have been archived. And you can find those on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, just do C86 Show. And you could just hear, you know, some obscure indie band, probably. Anyway, look, have a great week. Stay safe.